As we move into the word, last week we talked about these deceivers, these deceivers that are going to be not just released on the earth. They're on the earth right now. Right. They're there. They are those ministers or those preachers who are out there watering down the gospel that are teaching people stuff that's not in the Bible. Right. Well, it might be in the Bible, but they twist one word and change the whole meaning of the world of the word. So I, I wrote this article on uh, the ministry page the other day, Deception, because I woke up in the middle of the night, the night after we taught that Wednesday, in the morning on Thursday, and that the Lord was speaking to me about it, and I was driving to work. I was overwhelmed by the Spirit. I decided to make a video while I was driving, which is dangerous. Don't try it. And it was, I mean, it was gone on I me. Mean, I was... Ooh, the intensity. Oh, yeah. And the thing asked me a question. I was like, huh? And I ended up deleting it. So I said, I'm not about to go through that. Spirit and left. But it, as I got to work, I began to type. You know, hey, you know, you can't just manufacture stuff. It's stuff I say that you, my wife is saying, you say something during prayer at night. I'm like, what did I say? I don't know. I don't be knowing. I don't know. This is what I wrote, and this goes with what we talked about. It says, take heed that no man deceive you. After teaching about this in last night's, last week's Bible study, I find myself stirred because of the urgency of the message. It is important that you stay on guard against those individuals whose intent, listen to this, whose intent it is to deceive you by withholding or twisting the truth is necessary. The only way you can discern the deception is with the truth, right? We discovered last week that the truth is the word of God. Jesus said, he was praying for the disciples, sanctify them by your truth, right? And then he said, comma, well, he didn't say comma, but the scripture says comma, and then it says, thy word is truth. So the word of God is truth that Jesus, that we judge everything based upon, amen? So it says it's truth, and I am not talking about what the world deems is truth. We talked about that, right? I am talking about what the word of God deems is truth. John 17 and 17, it says, again, that's what I just said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. These agents of Satan, listen to this, are actively working among believers today. How do I know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I like that. In order to deceive you, they must know the information they intend to twist or change. That's the only way you can deceive somebody. If you don't know it, how are you going to deceive it? You got to read it to find out what it says in order to change it. So based upon that, that right there, if that is the case, then it is possible that these agents are present day preachers and teachers of the word of God who know the truth, but have turned their allegiance towards Satan secretly. They know that you won't read the word and they know that you won't go and research anything they told you. This makes you gullible to their deceptions because you possess no truth to weigh it against. Jesus told his disciples to pay attention and don't let no man deceive you. You must return to the word of God. You must digest it daily, believe it daily, and live it out. This is the only way to stand against the deception that is being poured out upon Christians today and the entire world. If they are present-day preachers... And based upon the conversation that one of the ministers at our church said that he was sitting in a room with some big name preachers and it was in there discussing. I told you this last week. 
how they're going to water down the word to bring in more people and bring in money while they're doing it. So they're going to hold back the word of God to increase numbers and money coming into the church. Big name preachers. So if that is the case, you telling me, and I, I begin to think about the scripture, how the scripture says that, that the strong delusions that are going to come, they're going to be so strong that the very elect of God can turn from God because of the strong delusions. You mean to tell me strong, power-packed preachers that people spend three and four and five hundred dollars to go to their conferences will turn as a result of the delusions that the enemy is going to release? And people are gullible because people don't read for themselves. Concerning what we talked with, with, with the Supreme Court said the other day, I, I wrote this here, in the wake of last week's decision, listen with Romans 1. We, 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 you read, you say you read, you, you know, man, if, if you, did y'all read Romans 1 like, man, if, if I chose this life, that life, and somebody said, just read Romans the first chapter, you ain't got to read nothing else. At the end of that, I would just drop to my knees and give my life to Christ. Because there's no way I could look at that and say, maybe God is going to have mercy on me. It doesn't say that. 2 Corinthians 11 and 14 says this. And no, do not marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. That means Satan is going to appear in a pleasing fashion to where people are going to easily accept him for him to get the agenda over to deceive the people of God. So therefore, which ties into what I'm saying, they have to be people who are well respected for other people to so willingly follow after what they say. You understand what I'm saying? Paul told us in Philippians to work out your own soul salvation with fear and trembling. I have to be ready, not based upon the selective, the selective messages my pastor teaches. I have to have my own service in my quiet time with God so that he can teach me the things that I need to know so that I can stay ready and be an example of a believer among the world, right? We can't be afraid to talk about Jesus Christ anymore. We can't be afraid to lift our heads up and we, we can't be afraid to say, you know, I don't do that no more. We got to make that. We got to start defining the line, because when we start blending our lives with some of the things that they do and we supposed to do, then they we, we're just like them. Nobody can say there's a difference in this Christianity walk. And a lot of people say that now because a lot of things that are taking place in churches. Church got a bad name. So where's the difference? But there is a difference. In holy and unholy. There is a difference in clean and unclean. That's what the scripture says. Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus, God also says, be ye holy for I am holy. Well, how can I live a holy life? I have to separate myself from those things that I know that are not pleasing to God. I have to make a decision. How do I know that? I have to read what he says. And if he says, stay away from this a, B, C, D, E, F, G, then as a believer who wants to walk in a pleasing lifestyle before God, when I come into that knowledge, then I say I have to stay away from A, B, C, D, E because that shows the Father that I'm serious. Not that you're working it out in your own self, 
But I, there are moments where I fail. I know that. We fall. We fail. We're not doing it in our own strength, right? We have to do it in the faith of Christ. God gives us the power. What I found out in my relationship with God is that the moment that I surrender my life more and more to God, he begins to weed away those things that I'm weak in. That makes sense? The Holy Spirit increases his presence, and in the increase, the sin nature decreases. That makes sense? When the sin nature decreases, then I'm not led about by my fleshly desires that may seem okay yesterday, but today I don't feel comfortable doing it. That's when you know the Holy Spirit is changing your taste buds, changing your appetite, because you're getting closer to him. And the closer you get to him, the Holy Ghost is fire. He begins to burn up the seed, the root the weeds that the sin nature has, has, has mingled into your life, he begins to burn those things up so that what is remained is the healthy vine of the word of God. I'm talking about the vine in St. John, the 14th chapter, where Jesus said, stay with the vine, abide in the vine. Because if you're hooked into the vine, you're going to have sustaining life running through you by sticking to the vine. That's the important part. When I don't, there's believers, I, 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 I remember when, when my mother was, uh, she recently just came to the Lord probably about maybe 15, 20 years, 15, 20 years ago. All my life, my mother was, a, she drunk, and they, they parted and all that stuff, and I used to tell her, you know, you need to get your life right, especially when I got mine right. I want her to be saved, right, you know, and she wanted to come stay over by the house, her and her, her new boyfriend, they dating, hadn't married, and they were like, can we come stay with you? I said, well, where y'all going to sleep at? Well, we're going to sleep. Don't you have an extra bedroom? I said, yeah, well, you can stay in there. He's going to have to stay somewhere else because y'all not married. So she got mad, didn't come. But that's not my problem. My problem, my thing is that I have to make a stand that if I allow you to come in my room and y'all in there ain't husband or wife sleeping in the same bed, then that's wrong before me. Then I'm held in judgment, right? Their blood is on my hand. I have to guard myself, even if it makes my family members mad, right? Jesus said in the book of Matthew that there's going to be Mothers against fathers, brothers against sisters, aunties against cousins because of this walk. Because this life is it's a life that is not easy for some people, right? But for those who have made their mind up, it is an easy life, but it offends so many people because they're led away by their own lustful desires. And I'm not talking about lustful sexual desires. I'm talking about the desire to be prideful, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. To have and to attain things, to, to accumulate things. That is the lust of the flesh. To want something that has nothing to do with your spirit. It is those desires that cause people to continually follow after the sin nature that is within them. But when they decide to yield their lives to Christ, then it's the sin nature that gets born. Man, your spirit gets born again. It's the, does it die? Well, uh, man, 2 Corinthians, I believe it's the fifth chapter. It talks about how we have all been made new, right, in Christ. All things have passed away and all things have become new, right? So when we come to Christ and to the knowledge of Christ, the areas of the old things, the old sin nature dies. The spirit nature is alert and awakened or rebirthed. And from that moment, we are led by that spirit of God, by your newborn spirit inside of you. 
Once that spirit is reborn, it is connected with the creator spirit, God's spirit. That is how you grow when you're in the word and you follow, you're praying, your spirit man is nurtured and matures and you're strengthened, you're increased in wisdom and insight and revelation. The eyes of your understanding become enlightened. You're no longer led away in, in darkness, but you're, you become a, a person of the light. The light of the word is becoming revealed to you. The mysteries of God are being revealed to you. There is no secrets that God holds from you because he said, because you're no longer servants anymore when you were in the dark, but now you're my friend. And once you become my friend, I have conversations with you and we begin to talk more. And I begin to tell you things that so you won't be caught off guard. That's how God deals with us. Matthew 25 says this. Listen, I want to read it and we're going to go through it and then we're going to end, end on this. <clears throat> it's these 10 virgins that Jesus was talking about. And it's after the 24th chapter where Jesus gave them the signs of the end. We talked about those, the deceivers that's going to come. And then he jumps into the 25th chapter about these 10 virgins. And this is what he said. The 25th verse, uh, chapter of the book of Matthew, beginning at the first verse. It says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Let's think about this. The church, Revelations about the fourth and the fifth chapter refers to the church age. The church age. Remember, after the third chapter of Revelations, the church is no more mentioned on the earth. Because after the third chapter of Revelation, it is believed that the church would be raptured out so you would not hear no mention of the church on the earth after revelation of the church third chapter but it does talk about the bridegroom and the bride the bible says that the church the church of jesus christ is is the bride of christ so there's going to be a marriage that takes place in heaven during the fifth the fourth and the fifth chapter of revelations and it is that marriage that's going to take place during that time where we meet, the, uh, meet with Jesus Christ. There's a marriage feast that's going to take place. And there's going to be a marriage that takes place in heaven. The church is going to marry Jesus Christ. That's what the symbolization is. So when this story here is talking about the ten virgins, the ten virgins represents the people, uh, people of God. A people, you know, let's just say people at this point, all right? And then it refers to the bridegroom is going to come. The bridegroom is a symbolization or a symbol of Jesus Christ. When you begin to study about that in this text that we're about to read. So as we read through it, know that when it talks about the bridegroom, look at the symbolization of it being tied to Christ. And when it talks about the virgins, look at it as wise virgins and foolish virgins. All right. You know, saved versions and worldly versions, okay? So let's look at it that way. That's going to help us to understand it a little bit better. It says here, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, well, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. You get the picture? They got ten virgins walking. They got their lamps in their hand. And they're heading to where the bridegroom is supposed to come in preparation for the wedding, right? So they're living their life. They're going and they're carrying their lamps. For a certain time that is going to take place. Verse 2. And five of them were wise and five of them was foolish. It's important to understand that. Verse 3. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. 
I remember in the country when I was growing up, I'm not going to tell you my age, I'm about 50. And as I was growing up in the country, my grandmother, great-grandmother, who's passed away now, if she was alive, she'd probably be about 100 and something. Um, but er, back in the early, late 60s, 68, 69, 70, we used to go to the country and they didn't have electricity where they were. So at nights we have these lanterns sitting on the bathroom, the kitchen. But every night before dark came, they tell one of the kids to go get that lamp oil and go in and fill those, those lamps up so we'll have some light tonight, right? Because you ain't going to be able to find it if it's dark outside, right? So we'll go and get that oil. So these are five foolish versions who took their lamps but didn't bring no what? To keep the lamps lit. It's like going to the wedding and you forget your wedding dress. Or you forget the, the wedding certificate that you got to sign, right? Number four, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So five don't have none, and five do have them. Verse five, while the bridegroom tarried, tarried means waited. He was putting on his tuxedo, ran a little behind, so he just kind of prolonged the start of the wedding, right? I mean, get the image of it, you know? Hey, think about it. He tarried. They all slumbered and slept. Well, shoot, he ain't come yet, so I'm going to take a nap. That's what it says. Verse 6, and at midnight, what? There was a cry made. Behold, <laughs> the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. It is dark. It's midnight. And they say, get up and go meet the bridegroom. So guess what happens? Then all those virgins arose and cut their lamps on. And the foolish looked over there to the wise and said, Yo, can you give me some of your oil for my lamp? Because I'm about out. Isn't that what that says? Verse 8, And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. It was out. And then the wise says, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go to the store and buy some for yourself. That's basically what that scripture is saying, right? You know, share and share alike. That's because when it comes to your relationship with God, you can't go to heaven for John. Johnny can't ride on your coattails. My grandma believed. Can I come in? No. You got to be ready. The symbolization here is that you don't know when he's going to come. So you sleeping and you slept. You're at ease. You're waiting, but he's taking a little bit longer to come. I remember when a kid, they said, Jesus is coming soon. When I became 15, Jesus is coming soon. We figured he was waiting. He's tearing. You see the association, the comparison? And still, at 30, he hadn't come. But I heard him say, Jesus is coming soon. Now at 50, they're saying the same thing. Well, 50. 40 years ago, they said he was coming soon. So he's at least 40 more years sooner than he was then. But now we got the signs that come along with it. They used to say, it's going to get like the days of Noah. But guess what it is now? It's like the days of Noah. So now we're waiting and we're looking for the, the thing to take place. Like these, midnight, he, they say, get ready. No oil in their lamp. Theirs is ready to go. And then they went. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage. And the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins. Saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. 
But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Then he comes and gives them a warning. Watch therefore, for ye know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Are you really ready? Because we don't know. We got to look at it. Are we ready? Have we made preparations? Have we got it all together? Have we, are we living our confession out? Are we pulling off? I like Colossians about the first and the second chapter. It talks about pulling off these things and then pulling on, putting on something. Pulling off the old man, putting on the new man, which was born or re regenerated through Christ Jesus. First chapter and the second chapter of Colossians. You'll find that in there. Look at scriptures like that. Look through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy where it talks about certain things that should take place in believers' lives. Look at um, uh, anything in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> if you want to know about in the, the events of the times, end times, Look in 1 Thessalonians, look in 2 Thessalonians, look in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Even in 1 John, you'll find some references to it. You'll find some references to it in Peter. Uh, 2 Peter, you'll find some references to it. Um, the information is so readily available, but I want to caution you and I want to warn you that if you read it, you're going to see that we're dealing with some of the stuff right now, if not all of it. So if that is the case, we got to know that Jesus can come back any day. And we cannot be caught unaware like the five foolish virgins. So we got to make sure we're ready. And we got to make sure those loved ones that we um, love are ready as well. Now, it's not our responsibility to make them accept Jesus Christ. Because the Bible talks about in the book of Matthew, that's, that's going to be the husband and the wife standing on the roof. And one of them going to be taken and the other one going to be left here. It's going to happen. Mom and daddy going to be in the field. One gone, the other stay. Brother and sister going to be camping in a tent. One going to leave, the other one going to stay. And they're going to look up and you're going to be gone. They're going to be wondering what happened, but they're going to remember. Some people will remember. We missed it. We are stuck here. We are in the middle of the tribulation. We are at the beginning of the tribulation. Do you realize how much fear is going to be left on this earth for those who knew it was coming and got left here? They will start reading the book of Revelation. That's your war journal. That's what's going to tell you the events that's going to take place. So if you find yourself here or if you know somebody that might be left here, tell them the, if you're still here when I'm gone, make sure you got a Bible and make sure you stay tuned to the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel. It's going to help you through these times of what's coming upon the earth. That's serious talk. That's helping them. That's giving them a survival's guide, right? It's some fearful things. And I think next week, oh, we do church by phone next week. It'll be a perfect time because y'all won't have to see me here talking about it. <clears throat> I wanted to give you a glimpse of the tribulation period next week. I want to read it to you. I want to, I'm not going to go into ooh, what this mean and what that mean. I'm just going to read it because I think just reading it will get you to see that if we know people who are going to be left here, it's going to be a horrible place to be. And it's also going to help us to make sure we, we make this thing, right? A lot of people are scared of this book of Revelation. But I was reading the other day, and right after the third chapter of, of Revelation, I said I was going to end with that. It said this. <laughs> Don't be scared. It's just, a, it's just a fourth chapter. Yes. Nothing bad happens at this point. 
I mean, my lesson tonight was, are you really ready? How's your lamps? Do you have oil? Do you have extra oil for your lamp? Do you have, how does that, what does that mean? Do you have the faith that you need to live this life until Jesus come back? Do you have, are you constantly increasing your faith so that you can be strengthened and established so that you won't be easily shaken? Listen, there may be people who are, who will, listen, there may be people sitting in this same room with us tonight committed to God that because of the deceptive tactics that shall come upon this earth, we might choose to believe the deception and miss heaven. So we can't say that we, we, we can't be persuaded. All we got, the only determination that we need to have right now is that I will stand for Christ no matter what. And he's going to give me the strength to continue to stand even if they come knock on my door. Come here, son. And they tell me to get all my people out of my house. We heard you was a preacher of the gospel. And we want you to deny Christ. And if you don't, I'm going to kill your son and your family. That's a choice that we got to make. That if I deny Christ, I'm going to hell for eternity. But if I stand for Christ, he's going to go to heaven and I get to go to heaven. You understand what I'm saying? We got to be that determined with this thing. We were talking about it. I said, baby, if they got a gun to your head, I'm going to ask you one question. Is your life right? And I expect her to do the same thing for me. Willie, I love you with everything. I'll meet you in heaven. Because I might deny it. And my life spared, and he still killed him. Then I'm left here going to hell. You see what I'm saying? No, if the only sure thing for both of us to go, you got to kill us all. So we got to be that determined in this relationship with God that even at the point of them lining our family and loved ones whom we love dearly and threaten to kill them if they're in Christ, that we'll be willing to stand anyway. That's how, that's how serious it's going to be. And then it, make, it pulls on your heart because when you think about Aiden and somebody want to do something and I got to make this decision, then my mind is going to be, it's going to be your fault. This is the enemy. It's going to be your fault if you kill him. You better, you better deny Christ. And then you're like, man, I don't want him. I don't want to see this. It's going to be in my, etched in my mind. And, but he's going to heaven. So me and Janelle, Talked about it the other night. It wasn't an easy conversation, but I expect her to stand for Christ. Let him kill me. Matter of fact, I write a note and tell them all the bank account numbers, whoever's left. If the rapture take place, look in the in the room underneath the cupboard, pull a wooden board back, and you're gonna find a list of stuff that's gonna be needful for you to get through the seven years of tribulation. The car keys are behind in the attic. You can drive my car. I got some bills come on the first and the fifteenth of every month. You can pay those two while you're here. I mean, think about it. I don't need it. I'm out of here. Listen to chapter four of Revelation. I'm just gonna skim through it real quick. It says at the beginning, and after these things, talking about the church, the, the seven churches, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. A door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking, speaking with me, said, Come up hither, and I will show you what must take place after these things. 
come up here. Come on up to heaven. This is John being bidded to come to heaven to see something. Verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne. <laughs> Ooh, I a throne was standing in heaven and one seated, sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting on the throne was like jasper stone and sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around about the throne like an emerald in appearance. Can you picture that? Around about the throne were 24 thrones. Did you see that? 24 thrones. That's a symbolization. We'll keep going. I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments, and a golden crown on their head. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse 6, and before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne Four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature was like a calf. The third creature had a face like a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. You got to picture it. That's amazing. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who was, who is and who is to come. Verse 9, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders who were sitting bows down, the scripture says, and they begin to cast their thrones before the, their crowns before the throne. Well, we know who's sitting on the throne, right? God, right? So they're casting their crowns before God on the throne while they're saying, worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they exist and were created. This is a human man, John, seeing this take place in heaven. That's an amazing vision. And verse chapter 5 says this, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Can you imagine? Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into the book. This is in heaven. Nobody was worthy to open it. In heaven. Where God exists. Verse 5, and one of the elders said, stop crying. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe. Oh, my God. That is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if it was slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you see where your prayers end up? Keep praying. I lost my place. Uh, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things therein I heard saying. Do you see that? Everything begin to say to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and glory and honor and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. That's a glimpse of what's going to take place in heaven after the rapture of the church Christ is going to take the book out of God's hand and because he's the only one that is worthy enough to open the book he's going to remove the seven seals and open the book that's where the seals begin to pop off in the next chapter and the first seal was broken and something happened in the earth I want to see that myself I don't want to just hear what John said I want to be up there when that takes place. I want to see Christ lean over to the Father and say, give me the book, Father. I can open it. And then the elders begin to bow down and say these things. And all things begin to say the same thing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. That's the glimpse of heaven at a pivotal point that is going to take place soon. And we can either be there when it happens or down here on the earth when it happens. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Father, we honor you tonight for your word. We want to know you and we want to be ready. I say tonight and I speak and I can only speak for myself that I'm ready and I'm asking you to help me to be ready. If there's any areas of weakness in my life, in my heart, my mind, my thought life, I ask you to forgive me and strengthen those areas and wash those areas and cleanse those areas. Give me a clean heart. Renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, Father. I stand before you humbly, God. I realize that I need you and I can't make it without you. So I'm asking you to search my heart, search all of our hearts. And if you find anything that is not like you, forgive us, wash us, cleanse us in every area. Empower us to be a more stronger witness of the gospel of Christ. First beginning under the roof that we live under. Making sure that we've given all of our loved ones the opportunity to accept Christ. 
that they may know him and not miss this rapture that's going to take place any day. And then help us to have courage to go and talk to unbelievers that you give to be our friends and that we fellowship with and laugh with and go to movies and out to dinner with. That you would give us the open door to show them Christ and invite them to his, to invite them to accept him into their lives. Yeah, I know a lot of people are going to say, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian, but it's beyond being a Christian, Father. It's about being a believer, one who accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So then help us to be strategic in our questions, not asking if they go to church and not asking if they're a Christian, but we just bold and ask them, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because it's either a yes or no question, God. And if they say yes, then they're one of yours. But if they say no, then that is the opportunity that we can have to offer Christ to them. This is the last days and the time is winding down. And we don't know how we're going to be able to meet each other, Father God. We got to think wise and strategic about how we're going to live the rest of these days on this earth. So as children who are looking to you as our father guide us and show us what we have to do to prepare ourselves to be ready and our families to be ready cause us to be attentive to the things that are necessary to be attentive to and turn away from those things that are distracting us from being attentive god there's so many things the enemy brings our jobs situations businesses whatever it is that he increases in our lives so that our focus can shift but God, it is when those times we're asking you that you intensify our focus, that you, God, increase the level of our intensity to push forward through those moments and continue to keep our eyes focused on you, the prize, the end of this race that we're running with patience and faith. Pray for each one here tonight that you'll look upon our needs, God, that if there's any who has needs tonight, I'm asking you to meet the needs tonight. You know specifically, you know everything. I'm asking you to grant it according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus, according to our needs. You say you'll provide, you'll, you'll supply all of our needs. If they're monetary, he'll supply your Jehovah Jireh. But it goes beyond monetary things. It's needs in our spirit, man, need in our heart, the wounds of past scars, fears, doubts, anxieties, insecurities. God, heal the wounds of our lives that keep us challenged sometimes, that keeps chains on us, God, that the more we move away from those things, they seem like they yank us back a couple steps. But tonight, oh God, we proclaim our liberty through Christ Jesus, and we've been made free by the blood of the Lamb, and no longer do those chains of our past pains and fears and doubts and anxieties hold us back, because we are the children of the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been blood washed, sanctified, set apart renewed in the spirit of our minds and our spirit our flesh oh God we are the redeemed of the Lord and we say so we are free indeed because Christ made us free for the power of the word lives inside of us and we are those who walk by the word we walk by faith and not by sight we believe what the word says no matter what we see with our natural eyes it is the word we speak we'll declare the word to every situation that rise up we'll speak the word God in every instance in every moment and everything no matter who's looking and no matter who is dealing with we're going to declare we're going to call out the devil when he shows his head we will not fear we'll rebuke him in the name of Jesus in the authority that Jesus Christ has given us we are the believer and we will act like it we choose to live it and we will stand in the authority that you have given us this night father and we thank you for it in the name of Jesus we pray
Amen.